So we are still in our study of Proverbs, and today we're going to look at Proverbs in chapter 21. There's a subtle danger that accompanies preaching through Proverbs. It's full of homespun sayings and gives a lot of practical advice on living. So it's easy to see this book like a self-help book, as a collection of sayings that help you be just a better person or to improve your status in society, how to think and grow rich. It could be easy to take the book that way. So the preacher of Proverbs sometimes is often prone to sound more like a psychologist or a therapist than he is a preacher, than a proclaimer of the good news. I've heard, you know, some preachers preach through Proverbs and they sound, today folks, we're going to study how to have a better life. I'm going to give you five principles that will help you be healthy, wealthy, and wise. You know, and you're supposed to say, oh, that sounds good, preacher. Yeah, oh, isn't that nice? So, what if I'm listening and I just am fine with how I'm doing? I feel healthy and I'm, I'm wealthy, so what if I don't really want to be any better? Because it sounds a little hard to be the kind of person that Proverbs talks about. So what happens, Proverbs ends up being like every self-help book. We put it up on, the, put a, up on the shelf after we got a few good pick-me-up verses, and it's sitting right next to our book on how to win friends and influence people or seven habits of highly effective people. How is Proverbs any different than that other material? Well, Proverbs has something the other self-help books don't have, and that something is called urgency. Urgency. Urgency carries the idea that my life and my choices right now really matter. And if I choose not to engage life, there could be danger creeping right around the corner. We need to live in urgency. And if you look through Proverbs, all throughout it, there are verses that are just dripping with the writer imploring you to listen Change your life. It even says it's shouting. There's urgency throughout this book. So I'm going to propose to you today that Proverbs is an ever-present urgent now. Solomon's writing to his son. He's telling his son not to be lazy, not to be complacent, and to take life serious. Now I'm trying to, I was trying to think of an illustration of how to, how to explain urgency without sounding like one of those buzz-headed buzz headed Baptist preachers that just get mad at you. How do you talk about urgency without yelling, you know? And uh, it hit me. If you read my blog that I put out on Friday, you'll, you'll know what this illustration is. But here's, here's how I'm going to try to explain it. In our culture today, people are all upset with movies and TV shows that have violence because they say violence are rotting our children's minds. And I, I can understand that. You know, I, to some degree I agree with that. But I believe there's something... Worse than violence for our kids. Something that starts them down a road that's really bad. But if I explain it to you, you won't think it's that bad. You'll think actually it's preposterous. But I believe this is what's starting to kill all of us. And it is, here it is, are you ready? What is killing our kids? The laugh track. Do you know what a laugh track is? The laugh track is, if you ever watch one of those bad Disney shows, and there's many bad Disney shows for kids. They're so bad, they're kind of silly, cheesy, they're mind-numbing, but all they got to do is play the laugh track, and bad writing goes into funny writing. 
Why do kids watch them? Because the laugh track convinces your child that what they are watching is actually funny when it's not. And if you notice, watch, the younger a child is, the more they buy into the lie of the laugh track. They think it's actually funny. But it's a marketing gimmick. It's a marketing gimmick. Because the writing is terrible. They've got some writing, script writing, where the character says, Bam, wow, bam, what? You know, and everybody laughs. Like, it's not funny. Somebody said to me, that to me during the day. I'd say, there's something wrong with you. But because there's a laugh track, it's supposed to be funny. So here, I tested it out. My daughter doesn't like this when I test it out. So she's watching one of those shows. And a laugh track is on. I start laughing along with the laugh track. So if a really dumb thing is done, I start going, <laughs> And all like a person does is throw a pin. <laughs> My daughter said, Dad, will you stop it? That's so stupid. I said, Exactly. It's so stupid. The show is trash, but I watch it because of the laugh track. It sucked me in. It's called crowd mob psychology. And it works. It really works. And the more I think about it, the more I'm convinced that the whole world daily has some kind of laugh track going on. The majority of people aren't living lives that are really determined, they're not wise, and they don't think it's significant. We just go along with what everybody else is doing. And you know how I can prove that you're listening to a laugh track? Because you hold it in your hands 10 hours a day. Or it's up on the screen and you watch it another 10 hours a day. The laugh track's always on. And here's what the laugh track does. It has, it's intentional. The laugh track wants to take the bite or the seriousness out of life. It neuters it. It makes it bland. We no longer believe we're living in a grand story. The gospel is no longer wonderful because life is really not that dangerous because we're laughing at things that once were serious and now everything's kind of a joke. We must not read Proverbs with the laugh track on. We can't. You need to be sober-minded when you read Proverbs because there's always a verse or two in these Proverbs that are just dripping with urgency. They're dripping with urgency. So here's our verse. I'm taking one very simple verse and I'll show you exactly what I mean. And don't read this with the laugh track on. It's... Proverbs 21.16, and I'm going to get my outline from this proverb, but just read this. Just in plain value, it says this. One who wanders from the way of good sense. So good sense is wisdom. It's prudence. It's knowledge. So one who wanders from the way of good sense, meaning I just, here's good sense, but I don't, I don't want it. I just, I'm going to leave it. I'm going to go do my own thing. One who wanders from the way of good sense will rest in the assembly of the dead. Ooh, that's creepy. That's a creepy verse. But we don't read it because the laugh track's always on. So we kind of read it and go, that's a weird one. I'll skip over to something, something better. No, no, no. Stop on that a second. So here's what we're going to talk about. Three W's. We're going to talk about what is wandering. So wandering. And then we're going to show you how when you leave good sense, you end up on the wide road. We're going to talk about the wide road. And then the third thing is, 
we need war- to be warned about the wide road. So, wandering, wide road, and warning. Very simple. One who wanders from the way of good sense will rest in the assembly of the dead. That just drips urgency. I was actually going to title this, Shut Off the Laugh Track, You Fool, but that sounds mean, so it's urgency. So let's talk about wandering. This verse is meant to wake us up because there's an awful lot of people out there in the world who are wandering. And wandering means they are directionless, living each day without purpose or destination. You wander because you don't know where you want to go. So you just wander. There's this idea, it's not, it's not the destination that counts. It's the journey that you take to get there. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. The destination kind of counts. So the word wandering is a couple connotations in the Old Testament and new. The first one is the idea that a wanderer lets life happen to them. They don't happen to life. It's a passive action. Somebody said, how can an action be passive? Well, it's like driftwood. Driftwood is acted upon. It just rests there, and the waves take it. Drifting isn't a passive action. Joe, uh, James calls a wanderer a double-minded man. It says a double-minded man is like a wave that gets blown by every passing wind. So if the wind is going west, the wave pushed that way. If it's going east, the waves push that way. It has no direction. It just does what everybody else does. The wanderer buys into the daily lie that everybody buys into. Laughs at the laughing that everybody buys into. I was thinking about it, you know, like little kids, if they start laughing at things that really are stupid, they start thinking everything needs to be funny. So when you get into junior high, every conversation, if it's not funny and stupid, it's awkward. And then senior hires don't know how to really converse because everything was funny younger. So if I talk about serious things, that's weird. Let me, can I laugh? So I'll say something stupid. Something I got from a movie or a, and I laugh because the laugh track has to be on all the time. And so the idea of passive action is you don't think, you just do like everybody else. I mean, why else, why else can you change your gender? Is it, is it because of logic and reason? Because everybody else thinks it's okay. Second thing about wandering is the wanderer is wandering most of the time because he wants to wander. It says here he gave up good sense, the way of good sense. So it's, it's basically willful ignorance. He wants to be stupid. It's not just stupidity or wandering or just not wanting to go anywhere. It's here, go this way, go this way. No, I don't want to. Let me just figure it out myself. Charles Bridges writes, he's a commentator, he writes, many people raised in the faith, so they're raised in the church, cast off their blessing. What he means by that is wisdom that's handed down from your parents or pastor or teacher. So they, they're raised in the faith, they cast off their blessing, despise the teaching they were once given. So instead of continuing in things that they've learned, they would rather wander Following wisdom is too straight. It's too humbling and too convicting. And so, he writes, on the other hand, wandering has no such constraints. You can go wherever you want. 
Wandering allows you to experience new pleasures, follow new teachings, and try out all other options. So in a way, wandering seems like you're free. It's easy. And that's why the third thing about a wanderer is they're content in their wandering. They're content being lost. I'll be fine. I'll be fine. Because I can do what I want. Isaiah says this in Isaiah 53, 6, All we, like sheep, have gone wandering. We've gone astray. And everyone's gone their own way. We just leave the fold because we just want to go see something else. We don't like to be told what to do, so we'd rather wander. Take our time. Laugh along with the other people laughing. But the problem with wandering, and this takes us to point two, the problem with wandering is if you leave the narrow path, all you have left is the wide road. Wandering always leads you to the wide road. What is the wide road? You don't know what the wide road is? Jesus talked about this in Matthew 7.13. Listen to what he says. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way, the road is easy. It's easy that leads to life. No, the road is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it are many. So the idea is when I wander, really what I'm saying is I don't want to wander this narrow path, and wandering always leads you to the wide road because those are the only two choices. And Jesus says the wide road is easy. Why is the wide road easy? I've got four reasons why the wide road is easy. The first one is outside of Proverbs, but the other three will be found in Proverbs. And here's the first reason why. The wide road runs downhill. It runs downhill. What do I mean by that? Listen to 1 John 5.19. Nice job, Andrew, nice job. I mean, Jonathan, good job. I messed that up. It was 1 John 2.19. He says, I'll fix that for you. And he did. It looks beautiful. 1 John 5.19. Turn there real quick. This is, a, this is a creepy verse. This is, again, one of these verses that because the laugh track's on most of the day, you don't catch this. But sometimes if you, if you let if you read, here's how I'll put it. This will sound really weird, but you'll understand what I mean. If you read Scripture as if it's true, it will scare you. But we don't really. I don't know if we believe Scripture and we read it. Because listen to what this says. Here's 1 John 5.19. We know that we are from God, it says. And the whole world, those who are not from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Huh? That means if you aren't a Christian, you are at Satan's mercy. The road runs downhill because he's twisted it and he has it running in the direction of hell. It's bent down. He has somehow warped reality so where the wrong, the wicked, and the worthless is easy. I don't really have to do anything to be wicked, worthless, and Wrong. It's simple. It's simple. Like, like for instance, people who make evil movies or kind of real twisted movies, we call them, oh, they're such geniuses. No. Evil's easy. All you got to do is pervert truth and goodness. It's simple. Just think of the weirdest thing you can, and people go, wow, wasn't that a genius? No, it's just you're, you're perverted. 
You're twisted. It's easy to twist things. Simple. Take a ball of yarn and throw it up in the air and it will come down twisted. Simple. It's hard to keep it straight. So when you wander, the road you are walking will start to go down. Because that's the way it's built. You think the choice between good and evil is equal? No. Evil has a clear advantage every time. Every time. Second thing, the reason why the wide road is easy, let's go back to Proverbs. The reason why the wide road is easy is found in Proverbs 9. It uses very persuasive advertising. It's very persuasive. Proverbs 9, 13 to 15. Listen to what it says. It says, the woman folly. So it's going to use a metaphor of folly, meaning unthinking or outside of wisdom, as a woman. It's going to portray folly as a woman. Here's what it says about her. The woman folly is loud. She's loud. She's seductive. Oh, that means she appeals to your flesh. She knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest place of town, calling to those who pass by or going straight on their way. What's interesting, if you go to chapter 1, wisdom is also seen as a woman who's calling, but she's calling out in the street along with the other noises, but folly sitting at the highest place, and she's loud and seductive. So in other words, wickedness is compelling. Mm, I want that. Wisdom is at the head of the street shouting, competing, but not folly. Folly gets to sit at the high place. You can't miss her. In other words, the lure of the wide road is powerful. Like the laugh track, the mindless wander sucked right into the lies. Most every single movie made, every TV show produced, commercial aired, promotes folly over wisdom, and the wanderer buys it. Just watch a commercial. You'll see a hamburger, and the byline will say, you deserve a break today. And you watch it, you're like, you're right. I do. I do. And you say it like that, I do. Or you'll see, you know, a cosmetic thing. You're unique and special, so buy our product. Oh, I will. I w- it just sucks you in. Third thing about the wide road. The wide road not only goes downhill, not only is the advertising powerful, but it appeals to passion, and passion runs fast. Once passion kicks in, it's hard to stop it. And here's what's interesting. Go to Proverbs 19.2. Proverbs 19.2. It says... Desire without knowledge is not good. Desire without knowledge is not good, and whoever makes haste with his feet misses the way. Now, if we start off saying that um, we don't want to have good sense, well, then that means knowledge is gone, and so all that's left is desire. And desire makes haste. It's fast. runs quick. 
So when a wanderer gives up good sense, all they have left is what they want, what they hunger for, and what they long for, and it drives them, and it's powerful. Have you ever tried to stop a person running downhill? It's a very dangerous thing to do. It's almost impossible, especially if they're bigger than you. It's almost impossible to stop a person running downhill. It's almost impossible to stop a wanderer wanderer who has hunger for folly and they tasted it. They are tumbling downhill and it's hard to stop. Because I'll just tell you this. They often say this sin and lust and desire is not logical. It's not logical. Your flesh isn't logical. It just does what it wants. Fourth thing about the wide road. It's crowded. Jesus said everybody takes it. Many take it. All through Proverbs, the reason Proverbs is written is because Solomon's telling his son, don't listen to people because they're going to convince you to follow them. That's the whole chapter one. People say, hey, come with us. Let's steal. Let's lie. Let's commit adultery. Come with us. And so in a way, when you're in a wide road, everybody's saying, hey, join us. Everybody's doing it. You don't want to be left out, do you? The big thing now is, you know, especially with social They call it social progress. They say, you know what? If you don't join us, history is going to leave you behind. It's going to leave you behind. That's the reason the laugh track works. If everybody's laughing, it must be funny. So if you listen to the laugh track, it sounds like a lot of people are laughing at the same joke. So if a lot of people are laughing at the same joke, it must be funny. Even though I know it's really stupid. But everybody else is laughing, so i got to laugh. But it's all a lie. That laughter is a lie. And most people who are laughing today don't even know why they laugh. They just do. It's kind of a nervous laughter. If I don't laugh, people think I'm not cool. So if everybody's laughing, it must be funny. If everyone's getting a sex change, it must be normal. If everybody's getting drunk, you might as well hand me a drink. Crowd psychology is a powerful thing. So the question is, if, are you on a wide road? And if you are on a wide road, you need to continue reading Proverbs 21, 6, 16. Listen to what it says, our, our starting verse. So we talked about wandering. We talked about the wide road. So now we're going to give you the warning. And Proverbs 21, 16 is weird. One who wanders from the way of good sense will rest in the assembly of the dead. What does that mean? So, if you find yourself walking downhill, number one, you're not heading to some innocent destination. The road is leading somewhere. It's going to cause you to stop, to rest somewhere. And it's not resting, R.I.P., rest in peace. This is R.I.P., rest in peril. Just because a gravestone says R.I.P., it doesn't necessarily mean peace. And the reason why I say rest in peril is because it says you're going to join the assembly of the dead. Let's first of all talk about rest. Resting doesn't always mean the end of the road. It can actually start on your descent down the road, meaning you can start actually being confirmed in your Folly, or what I'm going to call your antagonism towards God. Look at Proverbs 19.3. Watch what Proverbs 19.3 says. This is a 
Another very urgent verse. This is a terrifying verse. Proverbs 19.3. When a man's folly, so when I go down that road that's downhill and I'm listening to the seduction of folly. So when a man's folly brings his way to ruin, so let's say I, I, list, I don't listen to good sense, I do stupid things, and it brings disaster into my life or pain, His heart rages against the Lord. So the first thing you could say is the idea communicated is wandering down the wide road hardens the heart. You become confirmed in your antagonism. You've seen it. This happens all the time. This is why a lot of people are atheists, I have to be honest with you. What happens, they ignore God. When a person ignores God and then they decide to go wandering, they will get hurt. And then when they get hurt, they blame God for not stopping the pain. So it becomes his fault for their pain, even though they ignored him. So they become mad. They become confirmed in their antagonism. So folly is a strange thing because it warps logic. If I warn you not to put your hand on the burner, and you put your hand on the burner, and it burns you, and then you got pain, and you get mad at me... Didn't I warn you? But it's weird how the human heart works. When I ignore God and I get pain for ignoring God, then I blame God because I view him as the one who caused the pain. He didn't cause the pain. He warned you. It's a very strange thing. So in the hardness of heart, the wanderer begins to believe that if he's not going to help me, I'm going to make it on my own. I'm going to start walking this path on their own. So that's where the most famous proverb comes in. 1625. I'm sure you've heard this. Here's what it says. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end is the way of death. It's really talking about the person who has been on the wide road for a while. They're confirmed in their antagonism towards God. They say, you know what? I'll be just fine. I'll make it on my own. And this is saying, no, nope, no, no. Death is the end of the wide road. And then we get the Proverbs 21, 16, and you will join the assembly of the dead. What is that? Some scholars, if you look at 21, 16, think this phrase, assembly of the dead, are devils who are in chains. Some people believe that. Some people believe it's just, it's just everybody dies. Because if you read Proverbs, you read Ecclesiastes, you read Psalms, it says, Hades or Sheol is the ending place of all people. Whether you're wise or a fool, we all die. Even the dog ends up in the same place as the smart man ends up. And all those are true. But I believe the assembly of the dead goes a little bit further. I believe it's talking about apostates. People who left the right way, they didn't want it. They once claimed they were going the right way, but then they gave up God and they've got nothing left but punishment. Look at Jude. Jude talks all about this. Some scholars even believe these passages in Jude springboard off of the proverb we've been studying today. Go to Jude. Jude is the last book of the Bible before Revelation. Jude is written by Jesus' brother, Jude. Jesus said two brothers, James and Jude. 
Jesus had brothers? Yes. James and Jude. Jude is writing about apostates, people who were once in the church, but they left. And listen how he describes them starting in verse 11. This is fascinating. This fascinates me. You could say this is also, this is also uh, a characterization of the people that are considered part of the assembly of the dead. Starting in verse 11, Jude. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain, abandoned themselves for the sake of gain and Balaam's error, and they perished in Korah's rebellion. So stop right there. Who's Cain? Cain and Abel. Cain offered up fruits of his hands, of the ground to God as a sacrifice. So his hard work, his work, his fruit that he produced, he gave it to God as an offering. His brother Abel gave a lamb, a male, first lamb. God, which one did God accept? God accepted the sacrifice of the lamb. So in other words, these are people who think they can please God through their own hard work and good fruits instead of relying on Christ. Next thing it says, they follow Balaam. Balaam was a guy who claimed to be on God's side, but he's using God for his gain. It's a lot of people that go to church that just use God for their gain. They don't really come to worship. They come to act like Christians. And then it says, and then they perish in Korah's rebellion. What's Korah's rebellion? Korah was a guy who no longer wanted to follow Moses. Said, I want to lead these people. Moses, you're arrogant. So Moses went to God and God heard Moses and said, all right, hey, Korah and all the people that followed Korah, come here. And so they came close and the, the ground opened up and they all got swallowed by the earth down into Sheol. And then it closed up on them. So this is saying apostates usually think they can please God by their good works who don't rely on Christ. They actually profess Christ, but they don't possess him like Balaam. And they will end up in condemnation. Then it goes on to describe them more. Verse 12, they're hidden reefs at your love's feast. Meaning a reef is you're going along in this water, but you don't see underneath that reef that's going to hit that boat and sink it. They're shepherds feeding themselves on the love feast, so they're meeting together as a group and they're just taking advantage of others. They're waterless clouds. A cloud is a, it's pushed by the wind and it's not there long. And hopefully it has some water to at least refresh, but these have no water, so they're being pushed by the wind and they're useless. And they drift everywhere. They never are stable. That's what a cloud is, never stable. They are fruitless trees in late autumn, meaning at first it looks like they have fruit. They say they do, but watch them for a while and they don't have any fruit that perseveres. It doesn't really last. It's, they're big at the... They can say it real quick, but watch their life for a while and you'll realize they got no fruit. And then it says they are twice dead. You die one death. And then a twice dead person is a person who's brought up from the grave. They go before the great white throne and the throne in the lake of fire. That's the second death. Twice dead. The assembly of the dead are the ones who are not saved by grace who will perish for all eternity.
Most wanderers believe they're exempt from that. They'll be just fine. Wandering is just for a little while. Wandering's harmless. Proverbs says something very terrifying in 20 verse 9. Proverbs 29. Who can say, so he's, it's like he's talking to a crowd. Who can say, I have made my heart pure? It's a rhetorical question which means none of you, none of you have a pure heart. No one on his own can stop wandering. Sin makes fools or wanderers out of all of us. That's why Ecclesiastes, Solomon has another book. You have Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, which are more wise sayings. Look at what he writes in 7 verse 2. 7 verse 2. It is better, he's writing to people on a wide road. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. Or to go to the house where the laugh track is always playing. For the reason why is because death is the destiny of every man. Like Korah, everybody's going to get sucked in. The living should take this to heart. The living should. It is meant for all the wanderers of the wide road. In other words, turn off the laugh track. The road you are walking may be leading to the assembly of the dead. Please listen. Come back to your senses. I, uh, when I went to college, I went to school for four years, the same school. My senior year, I was able to pick three other roommates that I got to know for the three years previous, and we rented an apartment my last year. So these three guys and me had an apartment, and they were good guys. But we were wanderers. It was before I really knew Christ. They were good guys. They were hard workers. They had great grades, but also they liked to party on the weekends. But they were nice guys. That's our way always, that's the word we use when, you know, if we, this guy's kind of bad, but he's a nice guy. Uh, nice guy is another word for a wanderer. A couple years after we all graduated, we were all friends, one of my roommates got married, so he wanted all of us in the wedding. He wanted all of the guys that were in that apartment in the wedding. So we went to his house Thursday for a bachelor party, Friday for the rehearsal, and Saturday was the wedding. And Thursday night, they wanted to really have a wild bachelor party. The only problem in those two years, I got radically saved by a guy by the name of Jesus Christ. I came to become a believer. So during this weekend, they said, hey, are you guys ready? I said, I'm not going to go. They're like, what, man? What's wrong with you? I don't want to do that foolish stuff. I don't. What's wrong with you? Come on. I said, I, I just don't. Go ahead. You guys can go ahead. I'm just, I don't want to. And I had one of my friends who's a good roommate said, Chris, why not? Why don't you want to have fun? You're kind of like a wet blanket. I said, because I, my heart's captive by this book. And they said, yeah, whatever. So they were, they were really pretty upset. So they came in, and I was trying to explain to them, and then one of them at the time became a lawyer, and another guy's a broker, and they're very good at what they do. So the lawyer, I said to him, I said, what if you give me legal advice and I don't take it? He goes, oh, that'd be stupid. I go, why? He goes, because you could either go to jail or you could lose a lot of money. I have seen guys that don't take my legal advice and they are in big trouble. So you're saying it's very important. I listen to you. Yeah. 
Okay, and the other guy said, so you're going to be a broker. What if I don't invest my money the way you tell me to invest my money? What happens to me? Oh, you'd lose a lot of money. You would not be wise if you don't take some of my investment portfolio advice. But what if I don't want to? You would, you, you would be stupid. I said, so it's pretty important I listen to you. I said, yeah. I said, what have I been studying? Do you guys know what I've been studying in the time you guys have been studying law and finance? I've been studying eternity. What if you don't take my advice? T- You're taking it too serious. Wait a minute. I'm supposed to take your advice serious, but mine doesn't matter? What happens if you don't take my advice? Oh, you're saying I'm going to go to hell, <laughs> whatever. Okay, all right, so, so you don't have to listen to me. You just take it too serious. Needless to say, it wasn't the best weekend I ever had for a, a wedding. I did get to pray at the wedding. They always give that to like the pastoral guy. He gets to always pray. I know we don't necessarily agree, but will you pray? And then what's, I, I got to be honest with you, when you pray at the wedding, you know, all you got to do is say it real, thank you, Jesus. And everybody will say, oh, such a good prayer. Oh, that touched me so deeply. I read one time, prayers at weddings are like flowers on a table. They have no root. It's all sentimentality. It's ridiculous. So, is wandering something to be urgent about? Proverbs does have one more thing to say. There is a deeper wisdom. It's in 1130, Proverbs 11, verse 30. Proverbs isn't just for finding helpful advice on how to have a successful life. There's a deeper wisdom that we've got to be a part of. And so in Proverbs 11.30, he's imploring people. He says, the fruit of the righteous, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And whoever captures souls is wise. Some verses says, whoever saves a soul is wise. And the idea is this, whoever can get people to get off the wide road and back to the narrow road, that's wisdom. That's wisdom. We are to rescue people because it really is urgent. And if you are about that business, you're wise. That's why we have this table on a month, monthly basis. That's why Jesus wanted it to be regular. Because he says, I want you to remember what I did. What did he do? We have broken bread and we have juice that represents shed blood. Broken bread represents a body that died for you. Jesus Christ on the cross took your destruction that was meant at the end of the road. Jesus Christ went to the assembly of the dead. It said he went to hell when he died. Went to Sheol. He became sin for us, folly for us, and he didn't know sin. Why? So we could become the righteousness of God in Him. How do we do that? We accept His payment by faith. So if you are a believer, what this represents, the way I accept the bread and the juice is a representation of faith. I accept His payment. I accept His death for me. If I accept that, I am set back on the path, the narrow path, the path of righteousness. If I accept that, I have to be about helping people to get back on the path. 
I've got to start living urgent again. This is really a callback to urgency. Is this, is this uh, life a laugh track? Or did Jesus really die? He really died. 